One, two, three. I feel stunning. Button headed ninny mo. Just keep swimming. Just keep. Why, Mr. Anderson? Why? Why do you persist? I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. The eye of the enemy is moving. The end has come. Every day, Frodo moves closer to Mordor. Come, Master. Come to Smeagol. It is time. Give him the sword of the king. He needs to murder us! I'm not sending him away. Come, Smeagol. We come to it at last. A day may come when the courage of man fails. Not this day. Whatever happens, stay with me. This day, we fight! We cannot achieve victory through strength of arms. Not for ourselves. But we can give Frodo a chance. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Recast. I'm your host, Corey. With me, as always, is Tanner and Nick. Hello. And Jesse, he's in the driver's seat driving this bad boy. Um, so, What's up, babies? Buckle up. <laughs> okay, I like it. I like the enthusiasm from, from the production booth there. Um, that, that is true. <laughs> Tanner, or Jesse actually sits out in a production truck outside of Nick's apartment and runs this whole thing. Um, it's a little overkill, but you know. we we let him have what he needs. Yeah. We're massively in debt. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> welcome. If this is your first time listening to us, um, first of all, uh, if, if this is your first time here, if this is the first time you've ever heard of us, we have social media. Nick works around the clock on our social media presence, but we highly I literally uh, never wanna, sleep, guys engage with all of us instagram's the place to do it that's where we're so tired the most interactive um but nick's over Mm -hmm, on the facebooks mm -hmm. and the twitters and 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 getting everything else going if you're listening to us there's a good chance you're listening to us on apple Podcasts. and if you are scroll down give us five stars leave a review that puts us up in the algorithm that um it suggests this podcast to other people so we can grow so we can quit our jobs do this for a living uh, get sponsored by yes. mattress by mail companies and companies that send you food. I don't yes. know the typical crap that advertises on podcasts. So <laughs> um, the classics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, do that. Um, again, I'm I still ha- I still don't know how Spotify works. If you can review us there, do it. It's great. I think you can just heart us and follow, and you'll see new episodes that pop up. So, heart yeah. and follow. Heart and follow, like love. So, um, but if this is your first time listening to us, here's what we do here. We take a film, we take a movie and we uproot it out of its original release year. We drop it in a new release year and then we give it a new cast based on that new release year. Um, 
if you're listening to this and you've clicked on this, you know that we're taking Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King to 1986, which also means you haven't listened to the first two previous episodes. You should probably go and do that because this is part of a trilogy. You will be lost. You really should. Yeah. Our first trilogy on this podcast, it was Nick's stupid idea, but we're here and we're in it. We're closing a it genius up. genius idea. Read the prompt, Corey. Genius idea. Okay, so yeah, go back, listen to the first two episodes if you haven't, because this is obviously a part three in which we're casting the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy across 84, 85, and 1986. But before we dive into Return of the King and before we dive into the year that was 1986, we got to talk about what we've been watching. Nick, I'm starting with you. Dune. I watched it. I watched the movie, guys. The movie that the most important movie of our time. I watched it. Um, you know, um, because I know Tanner hasn't seen it yet. Mm -hmm, He's mm -hmm. literally going tomorrow. (laughs) Um, so I'm just gonna spoil everything real quick, so uh, so he doesn't have to. Um, (laughs) I thought it was interesting. You know, I haven't read the books. I haven't. I I do nothing going in. I felt like it did a good job for someone that's going in very fresh of giving you like the basics of the universe and stuff but i think the real the real winners here are all the fans that are like super invested because from what i've talked when i've talked with other people about it um that are big dune fans they love it they're Mm -hmm. they're super excited they love it you know they were we found out uh the other day that they're they are going to make the second one so it's you know while i didn't didn't immediately fall in love with the movie and and i think there are some some things that I may not have liked as much. I am excited to see where it goes, and I'm excited for the fans of the series to like get to see it, like kind of brought to life in the way that they were hoping it would. So okay, all right, That's a, Nick, that was a very fun, fun, very fun. good spoiler free review, and I appreciate it. I did my best, Tanner. What have you watched? Everyone dies. God damn it! <laughs> so for me this week, I watched New Mutants, but um. The big thing was there's an Apple TV show called Foundation that's based off of the Isaac Asimov books. It's it's a very fun, um, very, very interesting, like, sci-fi, like, 3,000 years in the future space colony empire that um, is essentially in its downfall of society. And so there's a group of scientists, or mathematicians, really, that are trying to save recorded history. It's just this whole, like... It's them trying to save the space library of Alexandria. Yeah, essentially. They're just trying to create a um, foundation, is what they call it. So it's it's very interesting. It is very, very Asimovian, but it's very fun. I would definitely highly recommend checking it out. All right, Cool. 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 Jesse, what have you been watching? I watched a Halloween classic this uh, this week for the first time, um, Hocus Pocus. Love that for you. I'm just going to wrap it up real quick here so Corey doesn't kill me. I think if I was 12 years old in 1997 or whenever this movie was fucking released, uh, I would have enjoyed this movie quite a bit. But I am now almost 30 and... I think it just holds a lot of nostalgia. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think there are some fun bits in it. The witches are fun. The, yeah, yeah. Um, what his name's Billy the zombie. He's fun. 
Um, so overall, not like a bad time. Uh, I do, however, think it's overhyped. But overall, fun watch. Corey will murder me later in my sleep. Um, Once you're done editing the episodes. Yeah. Course. So I binged watched all of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> and if I was a six year old <laughs> in the early 90s, that would have been really fun. But I think it's just in the style. I agree with that. So 100 percent. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I was just I was giving, was giving Jesse a hard time to each his own. I get it. He saw a movie late in life. Didn't get to experience it at the proper age. It's fair enough. I watched all of the Final Destination movies over the past like two weeks. No, you did not. And I did. No, I was I was kind of prepping. I'm supposed to eventually go on our friend Ash's podcast uh, and yeah. talk horror movies and stuff. And I this was a franchise I wasn't really up to speed on. And so I was like, I'll do mm-hmm. it. Um, Check out Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. Uh, also, we have a guest spot with Tanner talking about Robin Williams. It's out. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's whatever. It's a franchise. It's horror movies. I you know, my biggest question is I don't it, I mean, the premise is people escape a tragic like mm-hmm. death and then they have and then death still coming after them. Um, and they're trying to figure out some sort of puzzle. Apparently, death's very particular about the order people die in. Um, but those rules kind of skip around from movie to movie. But I just don't know why death doesn't give these people cancer and move on. Like why it has to be some elaborate, horrific hardware accident that kills them. But because I don't know, Corey, with scientific ad- advancements, uh, depending on the type of cancer, you can beat it. It's a it's not a foolproof plan. Well, I then heart disease, like give him a heart attack, you know, something, you know, like just I feel like death could wrap this up without being so dramatic about it. That's all. Well, I'm death saying. is a cruel mistress. Just, I, I think so. the main event of the those movies is already in itself horrific, right? Yeah. Like every like there's a race car wreck that destroys the whole fucking um, stadium or whatever. And so like I whenever I watched them, I always thought it was like death has to like I was owed these souls like in a terrible accident today and now I have in this manner yeah and so like I have to get them back in like as fast as possible in the worst way possible to like equal out what I and I mean like really spoilers it comes full circle the fifth movie ends with people getting on the plane that crashes in the Mm. first movie and it's just like whatever that was creative it took them five movies to do something really Mm. creative so um let's move on moving on Guys, let's talk about Return of the King. Who's going to give me some useless critic stats on Lord of the Rings: Return of the King? Me, pick it's me. Tanner. Pick me. Pick me. Uh, yes, Tanner. Uh, do you, do you have something to share with the class? Um, I was talking to the teacher, Corey. Nick, you kiss ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, useless critic stats. Uh, I'll run these down pretty quick because Ebert's corner is a doozy. Uh, IMDb. Comes in at an 8.9 out of 10. Nice. Rotten Tomatoes has a tomato meter of 93 out of 100. Nice. With an audience score of 86. Cool. Metacritic at 94 out of 100. Okay. With a an audience score of 9.1 out of 10. Yeah. So overall, 
Very high marks. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The critic consensus is it's visually breathtaking and emotionally powerful. The Return of the King is a moving and satisfying conclusion to a great trilogy. Tanner, Tanner. Is it tomato meter or tomato meter? Shut the fuck up (laughs) and let me do Ebert's Corner. I'm just saying, tomato meter, tomato meter just rolls off the tongue. So, but whatever. Yeah, Ebert's Corner. Let's go there. No, hold on, Corey. Let me retake that. Rotten Tomatoes meter. The tomato meter is a 93 out of 100. (laughs) The audience score is an 86 out of 100. (laughs) And the Metacritic Mm. is 9.1 out of 10. Wonderful. How was that? Better. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Uh, Okay, so guys. What do you think Eber has star ranking? Based off the last yeah. ones, I'm going to go with three out of four because he still um, hates that they didn't I'm gonna focus say on the hobbits. Two and a half. I'm going to say two and a half. Well, you're both wrong. Oh. This was his favorite film out of the series. Oh. He gave it three oh. and a half stars. Interesting. This, this review is so long oh, no. and such a roller coaster ride. You have no fucking clue. Like, he starts out, he says, it's the best of the three, stating that at last the full arc is visible and the Lord of the Rings trilogy comes into final focus. I admire it more as a whole than in its parts. He goes on to say that the second film was inconclusive and lost, but Return of the King dispatches its characters to their destinies, or, yeah, destinies uh, with a grand and eloquent confidence. Best of the three redeems the earlier meandering and certifies that the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a work of bold ambition at a time of cinematic timidity. All right, so here's what happened. (laughs) At the very end, Aragorn says, no, you bow to no one and makes all the tall, handsome people bow to the short, hairy people. He stood up and just applauded and erupted. Tears of joy. And he went home and Fist wrote pumped. this review. It is, it is so wild. He starts off like with that. So he's like, it's the best of the three. It's really great. It really pulls everything together. The fact that it falls short um, of greatness is perhaps inevitable. He goes on to like burden Peter Jackson with this like sentiment that he and filmmakers like him are the reasons that like audiences don't want to live in reality anymore. They're making movies and making these like middle earths so big and spectacular and fascinating that people are way more interested in fantasy than reality. So they did their job. Right. It's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, Roger. That's, that's what he wanted to do. Movie making is Roger. He goes on to like super praise, like paragraphs of him praising the uh, the imagery and like the spectacle and like all of the cinematic achievements that we're doing with CGI and like how he could only imagine how like if um, the greats of the silent era were here to see this of like you know Metropolis and like Faust, all these like um, yeah 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 fantasy like sci fi stuff like how taken aback that'd be at how like beautiful and amazing this work is. So he just said it's not as good and it doesn't really meet. It doesn't meet standards, but it's 
fucking brilliant. But he wants to jump into a time machine and say, guys, look, look at what happens. Look at what movies can do. (laughs) Isn't it beautiful? It's insane. It is definitely like the ravings of like (laughs) some guy who wants to hate it, but it's like, fuck, it was so good. But like, I shit on the other two. I shit on the other two so fucking hard. I can't back down. What do I fucking do? I just, I love the imagery of Roger Ebert going back in time to like the early yeah. set of Wizard of Oz and saying like, guys, there's orcs, there's elves, there's whole armies battling. And some dude walks over and said, I'm silver. And he says, that's stupid. And by the way, that's almost going to kill you. And then, <laughs> then just walks out. It's great. It's phenomenal. Um. Well, we've already. This is normally where we talk about why the director chose this film, but you can go back to episode one and listen to Nick rant and rave and praise this trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't need it again. It's good stuff because um, this is directed by Peter Jackson, and I was looking at his IMDb, IMDb today, and I just realized how amazing he was before he ran into this franchise. Like this dude was just making great Australian horror movies, and then he made Frighteners a great Michael J. Fox horror movie. And then he Mm -hmm. stumbled into this mess and he's never been the same. So um, everybody, you know, everybody changes core. Everybody goes through life and becomes different people. All right. Look, when someone makes a fuck ton of money at something, (laughs) they decide that's what they're going to do for the rest of their life and never change. Can I just read you the synopsis of his first movie? Yeah. The population of a small town disappears and is replaced by aliens that chase human flesh for their intergalactic fast food chain. That's bad taste. That's incredible. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yes. Where can I watch bad taste? Probably Tubi Shutter. or something. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, having having not really seen much of his filmography outside of Lord of the Rings, it is impressive that he was able to go from that, like B-movie Australian horror, to, hey, I want to direct this giant fantasy epic, and I want you to do it in, in all together, and I want you to pay me $150 million to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, so Lord of the Rings is like a New Line Cinema uh, production, right. you know, in New Line Cinema is... Um, was built by the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. That was its first thing, and that's how it essentially made all its money in the mm-hmm. beginning. And he actually wrote a script for one of the sequels that is one of the biggest like missteps in the horror world. He like had a script where it was like people weren't afraid of Freddy Krueger in the like anymore, and they were like taking sleeping pills just to go in the dream world and beat the crap out of them. You know, like it was going to like deal with like a. <laughs> Mel Gibson lethal weapon type of Freddy Krueger at first, like just depressed. <laughs> that's awesome, actually. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and, like, and then he like accidentally kills one of the teenagers and starts getting his power back. And it's like, man. And instead they make Dream Child or something stupid. So damn, that's oh, well. a, that really sucks. Peter Jackson. That sounds incredible. Yeah, but don't worry, he got this and now he's like super famous. Yeah. Also, Corey, you nailed it. You can watch Bad Taste on Tubi for free. I, be- I, be- I believe Tubi would totally take that. Okay, so first question that we have about Lord of the Rings is, Jesse, have you seen The Return of the King? I absolutely have seen Return of the King. I, As the last episode, I believe I stated that I had, 
all three of these movies in a box set with director's cuts. Yeah, you uh, did. Love these movies. Incredible. That's, I mean, nothing else to yeah, say. Yeah, you here. did. You, you had those extended editions. Proud of you. VHSs, Blu-rays, whatever it is, we got them. So, we have questions about The Return of the King. You guys both have written some down anonymously. Let's start with, can someone educate me on the properties of Limbus bread? How much of Sam's pack is just dense ass tummy or dummy thick bread? Well, that wasn't me, but uh, you don't uh, understand. Nick, this is supposed to be anonymous. Do not point fingers um, at who wrote these questions. I, will, I wouldn't point it at anyone that's taking offense to my pointing out. <laughs> <laughs> but are you, are you question? is the person in question questioning, do they not get Lambus bread? Or they just look. All I'm saying is, whoever wrote this, I'm Tolkien? sure has seen the scene in in the third movie, which Tolkien did not see. Nick, um, <laughs> where Sam looks at Frodo and says, "I've rationed everything off. We have we have enough for the journey home." Which he also says ten seconds before that they are almost out of food, and then he says, "I have plenty of Limbus bread for the journey home, which will be." months yeah i'm just confused at how it can both be almost no food and enough for months of survival it's enough he's he's measured it out tanner he's like okay to get to mount doom this is how much we have but we i'm saving the rest for when we get back because you need pop tarts on the way home so even without icing but how much bread does he have in his pack nick i mean i don't know the exact measurements of limbus bread i just know a bite can like keep you full like for a while oh so it's just like like a dense dense protein bar it's like you take one bite and you're full for the rest of the day yeah it's magic bread tanner (laughs) as jesse says (laughs) it's it's that was what the joke was in the first movie when they get the lambus bread because gimli or sam or somebody's like yeah you just take a bite of this and you're good to go and then mary turns to pippi's like how many did you eat he's like four (laughs) yeah did okay. you miss that? I guess I, was that I guess I missed edition? that. Was that I? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I must have missed that in the first one because I don't remember that okay. in the yeah the version like, that I watched. It's basically yeah. You, you take a bite, you're good for at least a day or more. So never given that much thought to any of the stuff they're eating in this movie. But all right, good. Now we know. Now we know. Linda Spray. Um, just a little idea. Um, yeah. So whoever asked that question, that's the answer. Uh, <laughs> Okay, one of you asked, is the ring scared of Sam? I'm going to need some context from whoever asked that one. Again, whoever wrote this question, I'm sure what they meant by that was, Sam is the only person in the entire trilogy of movies that the ring does not, but maybe once, try to turn to the dark side. That's all I'm saying. And I'm sure that's what whoever wrote this question is saying. That Sam is with him day in and day out for months. It took Boromir all of 15 minutes to try and steal the ring. It's a nice curved ring right there. <laughs> but the ring has to be scared of Sam. It's like, no, no, no. I don't no, I'm not even gonna try. He's too he's too good. He, he's too pure. He does have one moment where he is where he he kind of looks at it. But as he, it's literally when he's giving it back to Frodo and it's like the slow money kind of looks at it and he's like, and then Frodo steals it from him. Right. But that's literally the only moment that Sam seems to just even kind of think about it. But, and that scene can also be interpreted very easily as like, he's worried 
because like the second that Frodo sees it, right? It's yeah. He's like, whoa. And that's how I've always interpreted that scene is that like Sam's just so sick of being on this journey that he's like, I got to do this the rest of the way because this like Frodo's cracking like and so um, that's I always I mean, I think that you're supposed to. Yeah, definitely think that maybe a temptation thing happened there. So I think that Samwise is the greatest fictional character ever written in literature. Um, But I also think that it's interesting because given that Tolkien was a Christian and this is obviously like a book that like Christians kind of cling to and find all this allegory in it. Samwise is the one character that doesn't fit well because Frodo's supposed to be the Jesus character. But he has this companion the whole right. movie that almost kind of like is the hero in the last minute. So Frodo, Frodo's the Jesus character, not, not the yeah. Not he's the, carrying his. He's carrying the burden of sin. He's carrying his. Not cross. the prophesized like king that's returning. No, I think there's not multiple who. Jesus characters, kind of. Okay, all right. Because okay. Gandalf okay. also comes back from the dead, and blah, Nick blah, 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 in Christianity so. there are three Jesus characters. Right. Okay. Okay. So, I, okay, okay. I get. It. I get. It. I. I know my Christianity. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> the so Godhead three and one. Thus, Got it. Got it. There thus has to be three, and that's why they are the the three the three characters of each of these episodes. So yeah, makes sense. Wait, are you saying Aragorn is supposed to be the Jesus character? Is he not the like <laughs> typical savior prophesied to come and save them all from stuff? No. Again, so yes. I'm going to go ahead and say this. As much as, as Christians <laughs> like to to kind of claim this as this great uh, piece of Christian literature, Tolkien actually purposefully mm. tried to write something non-Christian, and this is what came out. So it's actually not intended to be. Yeah. Not a great job. So, well, like, I mean, okay, I'm going to argue. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a quick minute here. But the idea that Frodo is Jesus kind of falls flat because Frodo does get corrupted by the ring. So if he's supposed to be Jesus, he wouldn't he would be Sam. He wouldn't be corrupted by it. I I felt like Frodo if you're trying to put a Christian metaphor on it is like he's he's just showing that everyone falls short of the glory of God and all that good stuff. But I didn't get the Jesus thing when I watched it in my opinion. But. So many of our friends are going to hit us hard with hate mail. Oh gonna, man. So Well, yeah. you know what? Hate hate um, more views we'll, hate. Get, we'll do we'll do a patreon episode where we get uh ethan cox on and we talk all about the deep intricacies of christianity in this we, yeah yeah he can, yeah he, he's the guy that nearly really has to walk us through this and he's gonna call us all idiots for everything we've said so far i can already guarantee it yes 100 percent. um so i don't know what this question means <laughs> Is the position of lighting the beacons passed down through families? Like, do they spend their whole lives on mountaintops? I'm guessing this is the fire thing, like, that goes down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The greatest three-minute segment in cinema history, guys. I mean... I guess... It's pretty good. I guess I never thought about it. Yeah, because it's... When you're watching it, you're like, this just massive tower of sticks is just on the top of this mountain. Right, right. And there's, like, one just, like hut right like right off next to yeah, it yeah. and you're like do they live in this hut is their entire like just existence? are they paid a salary to just like i just i just picture here? it as like a it's a family like position and it's just passed down from father to son of like yes we must sit here son and hope and pray that one day we will get to light the beacons for a thousand years 
Well, that sounds really dumb and boring, Dad. Hey, your great-grandfather did it. His son did it. I did it. You're doing it. <laughs> Has anyone ever lit them? No. <laughs> what? I want to be a dancer, Dad. Oh, man. <laughs> Absolutely not. But we need to be here. In case, just in case, it is. What about the one guy that falls is asleep when the when it's lit and it just burns out? He's like, oh, "What's all that smoke from? Is something on fire?" Like, or the one guy that just like looks at it and he's like, <clears throat> "You know what? No." <laughs> like, so- I'm on. Look, I'm on lunch. I'm on lunch. I'm not going to do this right now. Or I can't. Some guy's been doing it so long; he's grown attached to the sticks, the stick pile. He's like feeding it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. He's named every every tender. <laughs> Carl, Carl, you have to they, do they, it. They're, you li- have to they're light lighting it. it. I'm not no. doing it. Gondor calls for aid. Jeffrey is my best friend, and he is in there. I'm not gonna burn Jeffrey. <laughs> dude had to play. The other guy had to play it real clever and be like, "Well, dude." I wasn't going to say anything, but Jeffrey was talking some mad trash on you last night when you were asleep. <laughs> really? Jeffrey? Fucked your wife, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, the joke went, the joke went too far. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. Okay. So, I only have one question. And that is just think of your best friend or someone you love, maybe a twin brother. And if they just freaked out on you and just said, I'm not destroying Mm -hmm. the ring after you walked for like a year to get to this place, you would drop kick that person straight into that volcano, right? With the fate of the world on the line? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even with not the fate of the world on the line, I think it's just the principle of what you've been through. A, we just talked about it. He just killed the giant spider getting this guy this far, and then he just turns around and says no. I mean, I think the best scene of the entire trilogy in like the greatest acting in all of it is just Samwise's heartbreak in that scene. Just the, just the, mm-hmm. just the facial acting right there. Like, I think I cried the first time I saw it, but like, he really should have been like, no, did you just say no to me? And then like just run in her Karana that dude straight off into that like lava and just wiped his hands and moved on. Look, Sam also had a moment of like, neither of us are making this back. Yeah. Neither of us are making it back. I've already allowed myself to imagine that I'm dying. So True. I'm like, we're both going down. Yeah. It's, it's almost to the point where you just like you just tackle him into it. Yeah. <laughs> like and you both like, go well, down together. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I always if I jump, you jump. I always wonder if like it's just kind of just maybe unfortunate editing of a movie or if it's supposed to be kind of an ironic joke that Frodo's freaking out and saying no while Sam's carrying this dude up the side of a mountain. And meanwhile, Aragorn turns around to an army of people and says for Frodo. And you're like. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like Samwise is carrying that dude straight up a mountain and like for Frodo. And it's like, oh my gosh. That's yeah. funny. I always just wonder, it's like, oh, come on. He couldn't say and Sam? Like, come on. <laughs> Man. All right, whatever. I hope Sam told everybody when they got back, like Frodo was a freaking, just freaking out on that mountain. He almost killed us all. Just so you all know. Mm-hmm. All right. 
guys, I don't care as much about these movies as Nick. So I'm actually handing him my junk drawer trivia just to describe how much I don't necessarily love these movies or even these books. It's taken me this long in this these three episodes to even say that I've actually been at Tolkien's grave. Like I've seen it. I've seen where he's buried. And huh, you know. Wow. So you're not telling the part where you recited Sam's speech at his grave. Because that's a great speech. That's a great speech. Is the two tower speech. That's a good speech. Says the guy who doesn't think these movies are that good. I think okay. the speech is great. All right. Okay. So all right. I think Samwise is great. So Samwise is the best fictional character ever. Yes. That, but it's fine. They're, they're, they're I stand okay. by that. They're I think okay. Corey's got a point on that so, one, but move on. <laughs> Nick, you can have my junk drawer stuff. So we've talked about all the all the special effects, all the timing of everything, Peter Jackson, them writing it. We've uncovered most things you can find on IMDb. But I just I felt like we needed to highlight two aspects. And the first okay. one is the music. Because like your Star Wars before it, so much um, of what makes the movie work is music. With this thing, it was composed by Howard Shore. Uh, most composers, they spend about 10 to 12 weeks working on a film. Like John Williams spent around 14 weeks on each Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. uh, the original trilogy. Howard Shore spent the good bit of four years developing this music. And the reason he did is because he really uh, was using uh, light motifs. And for those of you like myself that don't know what that means and aren't musically trained, they're just musical themes that represent specific people, places, and things in Middle Earth. Now you'd sit there and go like, well, yeah, like the Imperial March and and stuff from Lord of the Rings or the mm-hmm. or the uh, Raiders March. The thing about light motifs is that they they change. So like Aragorn's theme, it's a lot less obvious than the others. The, the song takes on the color of whatever place Aragorn's in. It's played on a dr- dramatic, broody, stringed instrument at one point on horns and battle scenes softly with a flute with Arwen and Rivendell. So it's just constantly adapting and constantly changing kind of like just with the story itself. So it's, it's almost like its own visual or audible like way of telling the story, like even more so than just, Hey, we're going to play the theme when, when Darth Vader walks in kind of thing. When there was no finished scenes for him to score, Howard Shore would develop these themes uh, inspired by scripts and just passages from the book. And that's how he got like all the middle earth locations to have like their own unique sound and stuff. Another side note to that is that some of the passages that are sung, like Billy Boyd uh, sings or Pippin sings the song during the Fields of Pelennor scene, they literally just gave him some text and said, hey, can you sing something? And they found that out by by going to one karaoke night with the cast and Pippin was singing. They're like, bro, Pippin has such a great voice. And they're like, why don't you? There's a passage here that where uh, Deanna Thor tells him to sing something. So can you just make something up? <clears throat> throughout this whole thing you know there's rewrites and the and the actors are kind of helping write the characters because they spent so long with them but even on the musical level it's like hey can you put something together for this as you what you think and even uh Viggo Mortensen's character did the same for when he becomes king in that scene and he gets to sing he did the same thing with some text speaking of Vigo, what's the term when something like is just you almost feel like it's predetermined or like, is it serendipity? Kismet. Kismet. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know if there's a better definition of that than a lot of this trilogy, but it could be almost personified in like Viggo Mortensen being like the right person at the right time for this role. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, he originally it was Stuart Townsend. If you don't know him, he was in Queen of the Damned. He uh, played Lestat in that version. Pete Townsend back in the early two thousands. And and he spent about four days shooting, and they were just like, "Yeah, he's not right. He's too young. We 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 got to find somebody else." And so they contacted Vigo Mortensen, who had never read the book, who had never spoken to Peter Jackson in his life, and and like called him over the phone, and said, "Hey, do you want this role?" And he almost turned it down, except for his son being like, "Bro, if you don't take this, I'll never <laughs> talk to you again." Like he was, he's had to explain to him, like, "You don't understand how big of a role this is, Dad." Like. This yeah. is the thing. This is this is that thing you've been looking for. <laughs> so Vigo's on the phone and he's like, I don't know, Peter. Lord of the Rings sounds stupid. And it's like, doo, 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 doo. his son just runs in. Dad! <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Just hangs up the phone. Hangs up the phone. Dad, you're going to call him back. Say you were fucking drunk. I don't care what you fucking say. You will take this role. <laughs> Sean Connery needed somebody in his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he needed his son to be like, Dad, Gandalf, come on, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Oh, I think man. most people that are fans of these movies know the whole fact that like he kicks the helmet and like yeah. screams and breaks his toes on it. But there's also just more stuff of like just he himself, like he's a poet. He was he was like did a jazz influenced album based off his poetry before he did Lord of the Rings. Like he's very he's a very learned person. Like he's he's multilingual, like Spanish, English, uh, Danish. Like he literally even like pushed for more Elvish to speak for Aragorn as so he's just like this this sponge of information and knowledge. So like he, he and he's in the first scene he did was Weathertop when he fights the Ring Wraiths, and that's like the first time he ever holds a sword. And the sword trainer who's like trained for Star Wars and stuff is like this is the best swordsman I've ever trained, like acting wise. So- you're telling me that, like, between takes, like, Vigo's over there, full Aragorn regalia in his seat. Like, Elijah Wood, people come up and say, hey, man, you're yeah. doing really good. And he's like, yeah, this acting thing's not really my passion, though. What I really love is jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly just doing this to fund my next jazz album, you know, so I'm hoping this really takes off. <laughs> I don't know if it was part commitment to character or part just that's just who he was, was like, because he would just, like, camp out during shoots he would hang out with the horses and stuff and like he even ended up buying two of his horses and then buying arwen's horse which he gave to the stunt woman who rode it because like one of the high execs was trying to outbid her for it and she couldn't afford to outbid him so aragorn or vigo mortensen was like you know what screw you you're getting your horse nice which is just fits perfectly into like the whole idea of aragorn so it, it was just another level of like perfect place perfect time perfect person i feel like that's just that's all you can really say about this if you were to describe this trilogy i would say it's serendipitous like at other points in time this may not have been pulled off this may not have worked this may not have hit so well and so i think that's just the best way to kind of put the period on it in terms of trivia and stuff nick i'm not gonna lie to you i completely stopped listening when you said jazz album and i have been (laughs) just digging for this jazz album. Um, I have found multiple albums by Vico Mortensen from a quick Google search. One of them's called One Man's Meat, and that sounds great. I... <laughs> Incredible. Um, guys, we have to dive into 1986 to properly get an, a handle of where we're going with this movie. 1986. Dracula! Who you all know about death? Mm. 
Life moves pretty fast. Never get away from her, you little daughter. That's annoying. I feel the need, the need for speed. You have arrived. Okay, we're in 1986. Yeah. It's really colorful, lots of hair. What was the top 10 at the box office Indeed. in 1986? The top 10 of 1986, guys. We got, we got a lot to look over here. So at number 10, we have John Hughes' Ferris Bueller's Day Off, rounding out the top 10. Number 9, we have Ruthless People. Number 8, Steven Spielberg's The Color Purple. Number 7 is Aliens, a sequel to the 1979 hit. Number 6, Back to School. Number five, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Number four, Karate Kid Part Two. Number three, Platoon. Number two, surprisingly, now in, in retrospect, but I guess it was a hit then, Crocodile Dundee. Hell yeah. And at number one, Top Gun. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. What a, what a weird Dude, Crocodile year. Dundee coming in clutch. I can't believe Back to School was a top 10 movie. Right? That's fascinating. Are we ready to go to the Oscars? Yeah, let me get my bow tie. Put on your bow ties, boys. Uh, got it. Okay. Big year. Big year. I mean, Let's maybe. do it. So, for supporting actress of the Oscars of 1986, which was took place in March of 87, supporting actress, we get Diane West from Hannah and Her Sisters. Supporting actor, we get Michael Caine from also Hannah and Her Sisters. Best actor is Paul Newman in The Color of Money. And best actress goes to Marlene Maitland in Children of a Lesser God. So a lot of a lot of bigger names there. Uh, the best picture, uh, these are the nominees. We had Children of a Lesser God, Hannah and Her Sisters, The Mission, A Room with a View, and the eventual winner, Platoon. So I don't know about you guys, but like most of these movies I've never heard of, but Platoon, like surprisingly, like big blockbuster hit, and it was the Oscar winner for for Best Picture, which we, I don't really see that often in the eighties. You know, you don't see that often, like that it's like the blockbuster and Best ever. Picture. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. No, I haven't heard much of that. I mean, it sounds like Hannah and only one of her sisters got an Oscar, so I don't know about the other ones. Hey. Got all right, but that's. But that's not all. Uh, if you want to know what doubled down in that year. That's what exactly what I want to know. So we have the, the obvious one is Top Gun and Iron Eagle. Sure. Films about fighter pilots. We have An American Tale and Great Mouse Detective. Animated movies about mice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One in 86, one in 87. The Vindicator and Robocop in the next year. And those are both about innocent men who are left mutilated and near dead. Reconstructed into cyborgs. But the big one, guys. In 86 is GoBots, Battle of the Rock Lords versus Transformers the Movie, which is both TV cartoons based on toys about transforming robots. And clearly there was a clear winner here. I mean, I don't know of anybody that hasn't heard of GoBots before. Battle of the Rock Lords? GoBots, Battle of the Rock Lords. That sounds Is this like a better. rock and roll? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. I literally looked at it and said, that's interesting. Never heard of it. Mm. And moved right along. <laughs> they moved right and along. you just started listening to that theme song from the Transformers movies. I did. I did. 
Oh, wow. I'm looking at a picture of GoBots, and they look just like Transformers. It looks like the Transformers, like, like you got at the dollar store. Like <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking at a picture of the poster, and it looks like dollar store Transformers are battling in front of the Schoolhouse Rock logo. Oh, wow. Nice. It really does look like the School of Rock poster. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on. GoBots. We'll, uh, we'll add that to our watch list. Um, all right. So, guys, do you have any, like, top favorite movies of 1986? So, other than the top ten and Oscars and stuff we talked about, some that I'll mention is um, one I recently saw was The Fly, which nice. I thought was crazy good. Little Shop of Horrors, obviously another good yeah. one. I don't know if you guys, I'm sure one of you would talk about it if I didn't, but I'll just make sure that it's brought up is Three Amigos was definitely a big one for me growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Chevy Chase. Love that movie. So Yeah, I concur on all of those. Um, I would just add Pretty in Pink and Stand By Me um, as heavy hitters. And then really the whole reason we're even bringing this to this time this year, Labyrinth yeah. was 1986. Uh, as well, 1986, one of the best movies of the time is Highlander uh, that came out this year. Uh, I mean, um, I just thought I, I just thought I'd slip that in there. I know we all were thinking it, but it is. It, I, we should talk about. I mean, it. I okay. guess it squeezed in at the top hundred at 98. <laughs> just so you know, Big Trouble in Little China was a little bit higher. So yeah, um, it did just edge out Transformers the movie, um, and so dang it solid okay well guys i think that means it's time to recast this thing right yes it's time yes yes so yes just to repeat the premise what we're doing is we're taking a movie in this case lord of the ring return of the king and we are taking it out of its release year and we're taking it back to 1986 and we're gonna recast it with a 1986 cast yeah i of this episode am the director tanner directed Two Towers, uh, Nick directed Fellowship, so I'm grabbing Return of the King here. Tanner and Nick have both prepared a cast list um, for um, characters we've selected from these movies. Really, since it's a trilogy, we've just kind of picked and uh, Nick has assembled um, specific cast lists. You put a loving touch to it, you know. We've split up a lot of the Fellowship, the main characters, and we've, uh, you know, then we've got the side characters kind of in the movies in which they kind of do the most. Right, right. And so... Return of the King, we are going to cast Rosie Cotton, Faramir, Denethor, Eowyn, Arwen, and then our big three, Gollum, Samwise Gamgee, and Aragorn. Again, if you haven't listened to the first episode, spoilers, um, please hit pause, go back, listen to those, because um, we put love and effort and, you know, time into those. Um, and Nick forced us to do this, so just go reward us for doing this. Isildur will be played by Robert Redford. Bilbo Baggins is going to be played by Anthony Hopkins. Galadriel will be a very um, yeah, younger Helen Mirren. I'm at 86 Helen Mirren, um, and she's still hot, so she's even going to be hotter then. Yeah. Um, Elrond will be David Bowie. Yes. Boromir will be played by Harrison Ford. Nice. Uh, our first Hobbit, Pippin, is being played mm-hmm. by Michael J. Fox. Gimli uh, is coming in with Rip Torn and Frodo Baggins, our, 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 our main whiny man, will be played by Matthew Broderick. Nice. The two towers of the cast ca- came out as followed. Uh, Treebeard will be playing by Thurl Ravencroft. 
Thank you for that, Nick. Tony the Tiger. Um, because everyone's scratching their heads right <laughs> now. Um, Tony the Tiger will be playing Treebeard. Aomir will be played by Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Wormtongue is being played by Mark Hamill. King Theoden is being played by Ben Kingsley. Saruman will be played by Jeremy Irons. Mary, uh, the um, the most worthless of the Hobbits, will be played by Judd Nelson, um, the best of the Brat Pack. So that's great. <laughs> that adds some weight to that. Legolas is being played by Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. And Gandalf will be played by Morgan Freeman. We've got we've to hop into this and round this out. So gang's all here. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you've listened to us before, you know that we we typically have rules, and some of those rules are still in play. First of all, uh, anyone that Tanner and Nick casts for Return of the King 1986 has to be alive. In actually, if their character appears in all three films, 84, 85, and 86. Right. Uh, secondly, they have to be um, free. They can't be in prison, incarcerated, or anything like that in the three years. Uh, rule number. Um, Three is they have to be active. And again, if they're in 84, 85, and 86, they have to be active actors in those three years. Um, and we describe that essentially as having at least one credit on IMDb um, in 84 or prior to. And then fourth, normally on this podcast, this is where um, things get crazy, which is anyone they cast would lose any major film credits. But because of this being a trilogy across three years, we did not hold ourselves to that because that would have been impossible um, to find actors that weren't doing something sacrosanct or amazing across those three years. So um, for the sake of radio and entertainment, we have relieved ourselves of that burden. And then the power-ups changed a little bit. I have two power-ups. One is I can retroactively um, change any two casting choices uh, at any point in the podcast. Uh, am I allowed to change them across the trilogy? Did we determine that? I uh, believe that we kept that per episode. Yeah, I think we did. Okay, per yeah. episode. Okay, so I can just retroactively um, uh, change anyone in the current episode right. um, if I feel like right actor's wrong role. And then there's the 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 the, uh, the big power up in which I can just say no to both choices given to me and implant my own actor during the casting. Um, but we allowed all three of us to have one that could be played at any time. Tanner played his in two towers when he put Morgan Freeman in as Gandalf. Nick still holds on to it, and I still have mine. So there are technically two power ups mm-hmm. in play for Return of the King. That's right. I'm ready. Okay, so we are starting with Rosie Cotton. Rosie Cotton dancing. She had ribbons in her hair. If ever I was to marry someone, it would have been her. It would have been her. Cannot remember who plays her. She's played by... Uh, Sarah McLeod. Sarah McLeod. Wow, okay, you're on top of that. Um... She is just, yeah, a hobbit of the um, Shire who has no idea probably that any that she's nope. in danger in any way, shape, or form. Like, in mm. everyone in the Shire, they just know that four hobbits have left and seemingly have just disappeared. Um, and they're just, there's, we were introduced to her in the first movie. Sam has a crush on her, and then he ends up with her at the end. In the fifth ending of this movie, we see that she is married Samwise and <laughs> has kids. Cause if you've seen this movie, you're aware that it has yeah. five endings. 
Um, but Rosie Cotton, it's one of the last things we see when the credits roll. So guys, who's your Rosie Cotton? Tanner, I'm going to start with you. So Okay, so Rosie Cotton. There's not a lot going on here. She doesn't really have a lot of lines, right? She's basically like a featured extra between the first and the third film. For fun, because I love this woman and I want her to be on the podcast at some point. Um, I'm bringing Fran Drescher. <laughs> uh, Nick, that's the nanny. If, uh, if yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I'm aware. Yes. Are you serious? No, this is serious. Like, this okay. This role, th- there's nothing to this role. It is, it is a vignette on a vignette inside a vignette. She is just like a true. She is just there, and so like I love Fran Drescher. I think she's great. Sh- she could easily play the woman who is getting married. Wait, hold on. With no lines. Does Does Rosie Cotton have even a single line? Because that's a make or break here. I don't think she has a true, like, I, I don't think there's, like, really any lines that she actually has other than maybe saying bye to yeah. Sam at one point in the first movie. Yeah, I think she's, like, I, yeah, I think she's background sound. I don't think she has, like, yeah, 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 yeah. a line. And, you know, I mean, we could we can put another voice on her. We can <laughs> dub yeah, someone else in I mean, here. even if she just says bye once, Tanner, it's kind of a deal breaker. All I'm saying is the character that we know from this film does not have anything meaningful and therefore is just background noise. I need someone that listens to this podcast to to go back, listen to everything, and tell me if Tanner only does this to me when I'm directing, if he tosses out these weird, nutty things, or if he does this to Nick, too, because I feel like I'm being picked on. I do it to Nick. I do it to everyone. All right. All right. Well, Nick... Who who are you countering Fran Drescher with? Good fucking luck, Nick. Well, I'm going to... I'm gonna, I'm gonna counter Fran Drescher, the nanny, star of a hit TV show with another uh, fa- actress from a TV show. Nice. So the logic I have for this was that she's the girl from back home. Sam has always been. It's always she's always been the apple of his eye. Uh, and I picked uh, Aaron Moran from you know her from Happy Days, and you know her in Joni Loves Chachi. Uh, Aaron Moran, who is at 24 this year. All right. So Aaron Moran, moving on. That is my choice. Um, <laughs> that is horseshit. Jesse, no Jesse, plug it in. Aaron Moran. She's Joni from Joni Loves Chachi. <laughs> <sighs> the problem, Tanner, is that too many people know who Fran Drescher is. So I need people to take this seriously. <laughs> the nanny hasn't happened yet. The nanny is 93. You're right. No one knows who she is. I did. I did look her up in the eighties, and it was it. it, it, it she could have done it. That's fine as long as she didn't speak. Um, it would have been fine. But I'm going with Aaron Moran. We're Ugh. moving on. This whole trilogy is ruined. <laughs> I would like to think that if he still had his override, he would have used it here. Um, so, uh, oh my gosh. Okay, so moving on to who's next? Theramir. Theramir. Your father's will has turned to madness. Do not throw away your life so rashly. Where does my allegiance lie if not here? This is the city of the men of Numenor. I'm glad to give my life to defend her beauty, her memory, her wisdom. Faramir, 
who is mm. the younger brother yeah. of Boromir, um, and mm-hmm. um, Daddy loved Boromir more. Um, so Faramir's got True. a lot of just kind of dad issues, trying to like live up um, to his his, his brother's uh, image, um, and just he's 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 trying to live up to that. And like his brother was a warrior, he's trying to be a warrior. It's all that, and you know, uh, played by David Winham, who. Uh, I think most people, other people would know him from 300. He's the guy that survives yeah. um, with one eye. And he's, he the, the he's the narrator, the basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's mainly who he is. He he helps the hobbits out along the way. He gets tempted by the ring at some point. He's a really cool, intriguing character, is all I'm saying. Am I missing anything on that character? Or did I nail it? No, that's the general the general idea. Yeah, we meet him in Two Towers. He plays a little bigger role mm-hmm. here trying to just prove himself to his dad and and he he of the brothers was actually the one who defeated the ring or the temptation yeah. of the ring so you could argue it's like he's he might be the better one of the two and it isn't really until his supposed death that Deanathor actually starts to realize oh my son my son but that's just more Deanathor just being crazy and making it yeah. about himself kind of thing um for my choice i was looking for somebody that kind of had you know some leading man quality about them um, but wouldn't overpower anybody in particular, like on our on the bigger side of the table, you know. Um, so I brought a 35 year old Richard Gear. Mm-hmm. Oh dang! Okay, kind of has that leading man quality about him, but he's he's still on the up and up right now, and so he's a he's probably a slightly recognizable face, but he'll become much more well known later on. Harrison Ford and Richard Gear—that's a really solid pairing. That is a good pairing. Hmm. Okay, Tanner, how are you going to counter that? Yeah, the gear man's okay. in. Here is where before um, I was berated in our group chat. Um, <laughs> this is where I had Richard Dean Anderson uh, MacGyver. Um, <laughs> uh, but before we before even coming onto this podcast, I was told. <laughs> I was an idiot because I was going to have Richard Dean Anderson in this cast. Um, So what I did instead is I brought a guy who is a leading man, Jeff Bridges. Obviously, the Ah. Lebowski, Tron, Hell or High Water. Mm -hmm. He had, I think, just finished up Tron a couple of years before this um, in 82. So he's like, he's past that. Mm -hmm. He's past like uh, Heaven's Gate. I think as well, he has the president the presence of a leading man i think he looks good next yeah. to harrison ford yeah he looks good next to harrison ford i think they have a resemblance and then i think he is going to have i think i think i can see jeff bridges have that real moment of i'm going to go die so i can get my dad's love have we put cory in a pickle those are both really solid choices nice you kind of have i'm i am in a pickle because I really like both of those. Huh. Was not expecting to have a problem with Pharaoh mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to have to just play this very politically, <laughs> which is not necessarily make a decision for Uh-oh. myself. Um, As much as, oh, crap, I can't even do it politically because... I was just going to choose the younger one, but like Richard Gere and Jeff Bridges are both born in 49. Like, oh my gosh, this We've can't even it. be easy. We've done it. 
Do you oh, are no. you are you that torn, Corey? Do you are you not sure? Because we could. There's, I there's... really do like both. I okay. Nope. I'm going Richard Gere. He was born three months. What before, a, like uh, Jeff Bridges. Of, you're going off of birth. <laughs> what I like. Who was born first? What a like back of the the yeah because they're both really good choices like board game who goes first scenario <laughs> like guys it's a compliment you both did so well I just I I I'm, I got in the paint I looked up some birthdays and Richard Gere was born in August Jeff Bridges December it's there so. And I do think Richard Gere... Man, December baby's getting all the hate. <laughs> hey, I'm a December baby. It's fine. Uh, Turning down your own kind, Corey. <laughs> I, I will say this. I think Richard Gere does look a little younger and more youthful than Jeff Bridges, who looks like he's a little bit harder around the edges, even in the 80s. So I'm, I'm just going to say that yeah, I think Jeff Bridges would have been a better Boromir than Faramir. I'm, I'm okay with Richard Gere playing out I here. Mean, Faramir is just living in ruins for months trying to survive. But, um, you know, prettier guy is fine. Hollywood! Shut up. <laughs> All right, so moving on to Faramir's father, Denethor. Word has reached my ears of this Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And I tell you now, I will not bow to this ranger from the north. Last of a ragged house, long bereft of lordship. Authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king, steward. The rule of Gondor is mine, and no others. He's the king of something. What's the, what, what's he king? Well, of? He's not the king. He's the steward of Gondor. Aragorn is of the bloodline. He's like kind of like yeah. holding the seat, right? Yeah, right. right but he's right. like holding the seat. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Yeah. yeah okay. Um. Yeah. He has a wicked widow's peak. He just looks evil from the get go. <laughs> He's kind of a terrible father. Um, right, yeah. And uh, we brought up on the last episode that there is very much a very famous scene where he's eating like, I mean, he is punishing a couple of tomatoes. Um, <laughs> very just aggressive <laughs> eating. <laughs> yeah. Um, really gross. But yeah, so he's holding down Gondor. I love, I love the phrase, he's punishing tomatoes. <laughs> that is my favorite thing that has been said this episode. He is punishing that tomato meter um, really hard. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> um, and that's just essentially, that's it. He is, he is kind of in power. He's kind of standing in the way of progress. Like all this stuff's coming to a head and he's kind of just going crazy up mm -hmm. there in yeah. Gondor. Um, and uh, almost trying to throw in the towel, to throw in the fight. Luckily, um, he kind of gets overpowered. He dies, does not make it to the end of this movie. Has a very wicked death. Maybe maybe top three of the trilogy, because I'm pretty sure he's on fire and runs off a cliff, um, which is yes. like he's double dead. Mm -hmm. So um, pretty awesome. Not yeah. as good as Lurtz in the one that like pulls a sword into his own chest just to scream at Aragorn before being beheaded. That's number one, but th we'll give this one a solid number two or three. Nice. All nice. right, Nick, you, you squeezed in by the skin of your teeth with I Richard did. Gere. I did. Who's your Denethor? So I know how you hate on-the-nose casting, so, so, but the problem is, is that I was having trouble finding someone age-appropriate, I guess. 
So I was looking at someone, and and this is probably too on the nose because they've played a similar role to this previously, about ten years before prior to this. Hmm. I'm gonna give you heavy hitter Marlon Brando. Hmm. Wow, is it close to Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now? A little bit. He's he pretty much takes a ten year break here between movies before he gets back into some movies in the '90s. So we're just gonna try to finagle, be like, look, man. Big movie series, last chance to really go out in a blaze of glory. Let's give it a shot, kind of thing, literally. And I think he'll kind of lean into that Colonel Kurtz mentality of like the guy who's just kind of got drunk with power. So I actually don't hate it. So I mean, it's <laughs> like it's pretty good on the nose casting in that it is a small role. Brando, I kind of like Brando's late career where he would just show up in movies and just, I mean, kind of wreck the productions of them but still his name was on it and so it was great (laughs) you know and so yeah no i'm cool with it i'm cool with it i think that i think brando could punish the crap out of a tomato like and it be it hit with you so tanner brando's on the board yeah i think first timer actually uh i'm sure anyone that tanner picks will be easier to deal with on set (laughs) uh this guy would <laughs> definitely be easier to deal with on set. Um, I'm trying to think, like, okay, so if Nick is on the nose, I don't know where in the face I am, but I'm taking you a little bit down a road that I know you enjoy. Okay. We're going to take just a minor heel turn. Ooh. He is, a lot of times, the um, wise father figure um, later in his career. I'm going to give you Michael Caine. Interesting. Hmm, that is really interesting. So the th- the scenes where I saw him watching it were were the scenes of like grieving the loss of his sons. Obviously, there's like a movie in '94 where he plays the villain on Deadly Ground. He plays uh, a villainous character, but like we've seen him mad in other stuff. We've seen him like angry. I see him giving us that you know loss that we see even in the Batman series. First off, I think this man can punish the fuck out of a tomato. Um, And I think you're just going to get a lot of depth to this role with him. And you're going to really just like let him loose. They're both. They both work on their own levels. Yeah. Brando's going to bring like, again, this weird star power to his name that even he couldn't ruin somehow. Like just no matter how difficult he could be on a set, it's still Brando. Yeah. Um, he's gonna bring the creepy aspect to it, and like Brando might have died while on fire, running off a cliff. For all I know, it wouldn't shock me if that's true. But 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 Michael Caine, there's two things working for him right now. Other than he's just a great actor, and I love heel turns, and I think he could do it really well. Is he just retired? So he's yeah. like, man, he's kind of tugging on my heartstrings there. He just announced his retirement. Mm, nice. And then two, he's an Oscar winner this year. You know, like I mean, he is. He's firing off cylinders. True. You know? True. Like, yeah, this is Hannah Hannah and her sisters this year. I'm going so. with Michael Caine. I, I, I got to give it to Michael Caine. I just want to see him be a bad guy. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more I like it. Because um, I also think of Muppet's Christmas Carol when he's Scrooge. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's a good pool. So, yeah, that's and a good he can pool. Definitely, and, you're, and you're right that he can definitely play like once he's just weeping and aching, like he can play that really well too and work even work up the madness yeah. a bit in that part. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I like it. <clears throat> I like Michael Caine. We're, we're bringing him in. All right, guys, moving on to Eowyn. 
What do you fear, my lady? A cage. To stay behind bars until youth and old age accept them. And all chance of valor has gone beyond recall or desire. A daughter of kings. A shield maiden of Rohan. I do not think that will be your fate. Who is the son of Theoden? Or the daughter, sorry. Daughter of Theoden, right? But it's kind Woo! of... It is Yay! kind of one of those daddy wishes he had a son and it's a daughter and she wants to be a warrior kind of complex and Mm -hmm. so she kind of she's kind of like what grown up in this whole writers of rohan thing but she's a girl daddy protects her won't let her fight won't let her let her be a writer but um she she wants to fight yeah um join the battle get in there get her hands dirty like kind of and it's it's a very female empowering character um as well Miranda Otto um, does a great job, by the way, in this yeah. movie. Um, does mm-hmm. a great job. Eowyn, unfortunately, though, is one of my least favorite characters because she totally kills my second favorite <laughs> character, the Witch King of Angmar. And with the help wow. of that stupid hobbit. So, um, but now it's one of your favorite. Down some but now it's one of your favorite Brat Pack characters, so it's even better. It's improved. That's true. That's true. It's going to be great that this is... Um, mm. Judd Nelson, it really, it really helps, and so y'all, should, y'all need to consider Judd while bringing Alongside. me an Aowen. Okay, okay. So a small Judd Nelson. Okay, yes. Tanner, so you might have to pull up IMDb. Oh my gosh! Because no, it, it, it she she's got a couple of a couple of things in the like early to mid nineties that you would know her from, but outside of that, you're really not going to recognize her too much. Um, but so for this role, obviously, like you said, we're, we're looking for a woman who is empowered, who is looking to be, uh, a fighter and looking to stand up for her and her family and her city. I'm bringing you Madeline Stowe typing. You would know her from last of the Mohicans, 12 monkeys, and she's in, uh, the general's daughter and stakeout is her like breakout okay, yeah i remember 12 monkeys for sure yeah yeah and i watched mohicans recently yeah she's the she's the love interest in last of the mohicans she is the doctor that um tells bruce willis he's crazy and then like right right gets on his side later in 12 monkeys yeah. um both like more physical like movies both more like action oriented films um and she does just give this power to both of those roles she also has this very soft very lovable nature when she's like talking with um mary so i think she just touches all those like uh touches all those guys she's in this movie in 87 with richard dreyfuss and amelia estevez called stakeout just those two alone in a like buddy cop situation i'm in it's yeah. Oh, yeah. And the stash so on Emilio good. in that movie. I believe Tim Curry's in that. It's oh. a pretty fun movie. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh, yeah. Aiden Quinn. Forrest Whitaker's in, in this. Okay. Anyway, anyway, right. anyway, anyway, anyway. Okay. Tanner, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely pulling someone that isn't going to get a bigger shot in movies or isn't going to be re- recognized in bigger movies until the 90s. Yeah. I like it. I like it. It's solid. I'm going to counter with uh, someone I think's not typical or maybe you don't think of it her typically for this type of role 
but uh, I'm going to go with Jodie Foster. Okay. Oh, dang. Jodie Foster at 22 right now. She This is pretty much when she starts getting into her, like, like grown adult acting instead of just being like the teen of the mm. late 70s and stuff. Um, she's doing a movie called The New Hot- yeah. the Hotel New Hampshire Mesmerized and she's a free agent in 86. So nothing of note at this point. Now, the thing you have to think of, Corey, is yeah. which one of these women is going to be the daughter of Ben Kingsley? Yeah. Um, actually, Tanner, that kind of hurts you more than it helps you. <laughs> I'm seeing Jodie Foster more. <laughs> what? Ben Kingsley. But what photo of Ben Kingsley are you looking at? Um, the 80s photos of Ben Kingsley. I'm, I'm actually looking at pictures of Jodie Foster um, in the 80s. Yeah, um, that's, I, that's... I see it. I don't see it. It's a it's a little young is the only thing. In the 80s so... movies I was looking at, she it doesn't come off like, oh, wow, she's so young. Like she definitely. He's playing mid mid twenties, in my opinion. So I think it's the crush on Aragorn that's going to to sway me here. I re- I like again. It's kind of like the Faramir thing, where they're operating on two different levels here, and I like I like both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Um, man, maybe I'm talking myself into Jodie Foster now. No, no, I'm going with Madeline Stowe. No! And the reason I'm going to go with Madeline Stowe nice. is because is because. I didn't know who Miranda Otto was, and I kind of like keeping an up and comer in this role. Mm, um, mm, mm. But I kind of like Madeline Stowe there as well. I think I think they're gonna have some chemistry. Um, all right, we're gonna put Madeline yeah. Stowe as Eowyn, and we're gonna move on to the other woman in Aragorn's life, Arwen. Reforge the sword. Your hands are cold. Life of the Eldar is leaving you. This was my choice. Mother, whether by your will or not, there is no ship now that can bear me hence. Played by um, Stephen Tyler Jr. herself, Liv Tyler. And um, that's what she is. She's a hot take probably the most boring part of this entire trilogy because she just pretty much says lines and, and says things. At one point, she makes like some water horses come and sweep some, some, some orcs away. That's pretty cool. That's but for pretty the most cool. part... She's a pretty cool line. I, it's, it's, it's cool, but I, I don't know. I think she's kind of the weakest character, and that may not be Liv Tyler's fault. It may just be... Yeah, the character the itself. So. They were constantly... So having to find ways to like involve her in the story because once it, even that scene where she saves Frodo, like that's just a random hob or a random elf. It's, like it's not actually her in the story. So yeah. they did have to do a lot yeah. to like kind of build her up yeah. and the whole idea of her choosing uh, Aragorn over more immortality with the rest of the elves going into the West and stuff. Uh, she actually yeah. was, they actually had shot her being at Helm's deep and showing up with the elves to fight but they ended up cutting it, which was crazy. Like, I didn't mm. know that existed until, like, a year ago. Oh, that, that would have been cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought so. But. I would have had nicer things to say about the character of Ar- <laughs> Arwen than being boring. But that's what she is. She's the she's she's Aragorn's, like, you know, fancies after she's an elf. Again, yeah, she's kind of bound to this. Do I choose to live forever or marry this dude who's going to be king of Gondor? Tanner, you made that with a... Pretty sneaky Madeline Stowe pick. So sneaky, sneaky. Who you got for Arwen? 
Here's what sucks about mm-hmm. my pick for Arwen. I was really counting on you to have this role as the I'm going to pick an up and comer and let them like drop into this role. 84 is her first year on the scene. She's doing some episodes of a TV show and then she's obviously going to pick up speed. I'm bringing you Julianne Moore. Hmm. Okay. I mean, she starts doing TV movies in like not the early 90s, but throughout the 80s, she's just doing TV. But I think she has this like ethereal beauty to her that like I can see as an elf. And then as well, like she has these roles that I can see her being a warrior maiden, essentially, is what she is in in the series. Again, like we just talked about with Eowyn, a very good chemistry with whoever our Aragorn is. I don't hate it. I, I don't hate it. So my logic, you know, was, and I think I kept vis- a lot of visual in mind because to kind of contrast with the, the mm-hmm. love triangle that's going on, you know, one is a brunette or raven-haired and one is blonde. And so I think that's what leaned into me looking more for blonde people. Mm. Obviously, there's a thing called wigs in Hollywood and that can work. Or hair dye. But uh, yeah, I, I, I am definitely leaning into the 80s here, into the moment. Somebody that's well-known yes. at this point in time. Yes. She was the first person that came in my mind when I thought of Arwen. I'm going to give you another more. I'm going to give you Demi more. Demi more. Uh, this <sighs> year, she's obviously, she had done St. Almost Fire before. Um, the other movies she's doing in this period are No Small Affair, About Last Night, and One Crazy Summer. So yeah, Demi Moore, I'm going to I'm going to give you a chance to 80s fire this up a bit. So so I also had Demi Moore down yeah! for this. Nice. <laughs> because whatever like the early days of when we were like uh, like 3 weeks ago when we kind of had the whole list, I was I was messing with it and Demi Moore was my was who came up for me for uh, oh, both yeah. actually Eowyn and Arwen. I was going to fight the Haver as one. But then okay. she fell on my episode. Um, both yeah. of them fell on my episode. So I'm going to go with Demi Moore. And I will say this in my defense, just to kind of pull all the 80s Kool-Aid out of my veins. It is more <laughs> about her stoicism sure. than it is about her being in the Brat Pack. So, because she transcended the Brat Pack. Eventually, true. Yeah, so. true. She, she made it out. Yeah. So. so Demi Moore is going to be our Arwen. Oh, that makes me so happy. All right, cool. I'm glad that somebody brought that up. All right, we're in our we're in our top three. We're about to round out our fellowship, but we're going to start with the nurse. Spencers. It's insane, my precious, my love. Smeagol losing his nerve. No, not never. Smeagol hates nasty horses. Smeagol wants to see them, dead. And we will. Smeagol did it once. He can do it again. Um, a guy who kind of crowbars himself in to the Fellowship, um, uh, the little monster man, who in this movie we find out was once a <laughs> hobbit, oh, no. but then, what, drowned his cousin or something and took the Pretty ring much. and yep. it, it yep. corrupted him, drove him. Into the mountains, aged like five hundred years or so. Hobbit. You know, 
like a hobbit monster frogman. Can I tell you the one thing that the one thing I hate about that scene in the movie is that they didn't let him change his voice at all. Like he just stayed in the same small girl voice and just instead of being like a normal human. Yeah, like 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 the Gollum voice was his natural born voice. And I'm like he just never escaped uh, puberty, did he? <laughs> like it 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 is the most like insulting thing to Smeagol that like he is by birth this this creature who it's so upsetting to me that they didn't let him just just shift his voice a little just bit. A little, he's just, already got like his weird speech impediment. You're right, like the voice, and he's kind of already speaking in kind of a broken English. I've never thought about that before. That that's really something they should have left to yeah. the ring corrupted him, and he kind of was losing his language, and it distorted his voice. I've never thought about. You're right. That is a huge error. Right. That ruins the entire trilogy. Whoa, whoa, like, okay. We okay. should never All right. talk about this ever <laughs> listen, again. Listen, like, one, one sidestep. Take step. your extended editions. <laughs> Get out of here. Right, let's close Throw them the in the garbage. No. We're done with this. In fact, we're not casting any more okay, of this. Okay, stop, stop, stop this right now. No. <laughs> Say goodbye, Nick. <laughs> but what's interesting about this role, you know, it's played by Andy Serkis. When they first were auditioning for it, you know, they they were just going to be, yeah, it's just CGI. Like, we're not even going to, like, really have him in the shot. And they brought him on set to, like, just do the voices. And then they ended up just being like, okay, let's do a shot without you. And then let's do a shot with you. And then it slowly became like, no, no, we need him and the physical interaction. And and, And obviously this role set, like, a huge precedent of, like, how to handle cgi characters in in these live action movies and stuff for up even now you know i mean you look at him and then you look at characters like thanos in the uh in yeah. avengers movies and things like that like it all starts really like the the modern version of like cgi starts there very true and like the fact that they were able to pull out so much of circus's circus's performance just through, through cgi and, and a lot of it holds up still to this day a lot of it does and then he goes on to just become the poster mm-hmm. boy of CGI. Like most of his well, most well-known roles in Planet of the Apes and, and other roles are, are basically CGI characters. All right, Nick. Well, you get the first shot at the creepy <sighs> Hobbit Frogman. Okay, so this is, this is probably the hardest one for, on the day for me because while I, and I'm not doing the obvious choice because I think Corey will just get mad at me. Uh, on this one in particular. So there were there were three other options that I go with, and right now I'm just going to flip like a three-sided coin and just pick whatever comes to my mind first. And I'm doing like the whole thing where I'm thinking about lines and stuff and performance. I'm going to go with one that was thrown at me sure. uh, earlier today. I'm going to... He he becomes more prominent in the 90s, hmm. and then he's all in comedies like in the 2000s and stuff. But in the 80s, he he's much younger and he's he's leaner and he has these very large eyes that just become very like noticeable when he's younger and i think with this role it's not going to be cgi obviously it's going to be a combination of makeup and stuff so you want someone who's already looking kind of small and kind of a little off kilter a bit Mm -hmm. so i'm going to give you a 29 year old steve buscemi Nice. Which, which at first value is like, whoa, that, uh, what? 
But when you think about it, you're like, okay, let's look past the Adam Sandler movies a bit. Except Mr. Deeds. You need to, need Except to think Mr. about Deeds. Mr. Deeds. Okay. Yeah. You got to think about Mr. Deeds for a minute. But yeah, he was he, he was a theater actor, you know, in New York. And he's, he slowly yeah. managed to get his way into movies. And then Big Lebowski might have been one of the bigger ones. Armageddon, where he's playing a character actor. Um, he's always been known as the funny guy. But I think uh, it, it, also in the 80s, like you kind of want some charm with Gollum and you and you don't want to go too far into like the voice and stuff. I think I think the physicality and look of everything is going to be the major thing here. So. All right. All right. Tanner, how are you going to counter uh, old Steve Buscemi there? I'm going to counter in a wildly, wildly different arena. I was afraid for Nick to go first because I didn't have any other backup. I'm bringing Jim Henson. I think in the 80s, like if you look at like Dark Crystal, right? Like if you think of these puppetries that he's done in the early 80s, Mm. these very humanistic like creatures. And I think Mm -hmm. from my understanding, he also wanted to be like a performer and then puppetry is just what got steady work and like what got rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 80s fantasy, it is wild to me that we wouldn't have a puppet. And Gollum is the the poster child to me for a puppet in this movie. Like if you get um, the master of puppetry, I think he's going to have fun with that and it's going to play. It's definitely going to echo Yoda a lot. Um, I didn't even think about the argument of like a, a, a human in makeup versus a a puppet being on on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um this is unprecedented. Okay, so Nick, you've brought me an actor. You've you've brought me an actor that mainly we're going off kind of looks like Gollum a little bit, a little whether bit, that's yeah. an insult or not. <laughs> um and um uh Tanner's bringing me we're actually just going to bring in essentially a studio to handle the character. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, this is something that we haven't discussed in great detail, but we said, you know, in the 80s, it was it, it would be puppets. It would be Henson workshop style stuff that bring into life things like Shelob, like like the, the Witch King and mm-hmm. and uh, and the trolls and things Tree of that beard. nature. Very, very, very Lucasfilm, you know, uh, Skywalker Ranch style stuff. Yeah. And like with David Bowie in our cast. It like yeah. is not too far of a stretch for me to go. There's puppets in this movie. This is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> here's the thing: I don't as as much as I, I I actually love Yoda in the the original Star Wars. Like nothing fills me with more joy than seeing the practical effect of Yoda moving and yeah. hitting R two D two with a stick and everything. And then I mean, in 1979, we watched Kermit ride a bicycle, and I still think it's the greatest like thing ever captured on camera. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Gollum would be a puppet. I hmm. think, though, if you look at the exact same year, 1986, what what Gollum would be is what Hoggle was in Labyrinth. I think it's a. I think it's both. I think it's an actor covered in Jim Hansen's tech. Sure. Yeah. 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 So my short answer is it's both. I don't. It, it can be Steve Buscemi, but he's got to be covered. I don't want it to be a dude in makeup. He's got to be covered in Jim Hansen's crap that was revolutionary in the 80s. For people that don't know Hoggle in Labyrinth, he's yeah. the puppet that looks like it's being played by a smaller person, but it's got a big head that's animatronic based mm-hmm. and stuff. So, I, I literally just want to say both. 
it's I want an actor, but I want him covered in Jim Hansen stuff. So I would just say Jesse, write down Steve Buscemi slash Jim Hansen Studios. I I, I think that's how it has to be. Okay, not no. necessarily a full blown puppet, but a hybrid of an actor in all that mm-hmm. Jim Hansen Studio magic. So yeah, I am I am all in on Steve Buscemi as done by Jim Hansen Studios. All right, we're. Woo! We are up to Sam Wise Gamgee. I can see him with my waking eyes. Then let us be rid of it. Once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Come on! Sam Wise is... Frodo's best friend um, who gets totally drugging this entire thing because he was uh, dropping some eaves outside of Frodo's house when they find the ring and Gandalf kind of assaults him and then pairs him up and pretty much says, you two are in charge of this ring. Go destroy it. Samwise, not a huge adventurer, just wants to get married to Rosie Cotton and have kids and hang out in the Shire. But he ends up being essentially the backbone of this entire journey, whether Aragorn realizes it or not. And pretty much in this movie, like, comes out as a full-blown hero. Yes. Kills the giant spider Shilo, but rescues his friend, and then pretty much drags his friend straight up a mountain uh, to finish the job. And then just for Frodo to wig out and everything. But (laughs) yeah, and again, I think the most powerful scene of the entire movie is Frodo saying no in Samwise's face right then in that with all the lava lighting. Oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. so good. Played by Sean Austin. Uh, Rudy himself. You know him as Rudy. You know him from the Goonies. It's Sean Austin. I mean, come on. Love it. So, you guys both made it. So I'll have to go to the previous, which was Demi Moore, Nick, Samwise Gamgee, who you got. Go. And it doesn't matter what any of you say unless you nail my person because my override was saved specifically for this. So just make it quick. This is who I thought you initially were going with, but something you said two episodes ago makes me think it's not him. But I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, this is definitely an 80s pick again, but I feel when I, again, when I was looking at a list, I was like, this is the guy. I think this is the right guy. I chose Emilio Estevez. Okay. Uh, you know him from Breakfast Club, St. Animals Fire, Young Guns later on. Uh, he's doing, I think, Repo Man at some point in this era as well. It's definitely going to be leaning into the Gordon Bombay latter years of Mighty Ducks, where he's he's the he's the the heartwarming kind of leader, kind of trying to help push along Frodo a bit. And so that's I think that's where I'm leaning. Like, let's tap into that a little bit more than the young guns kind of flashy side of him. So it's not who I picked. Okay, good. Then I still have a chance to nail it on the head. <laughs> Can someone guess? Corey's you have a pick? shot. You have a shot. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go with someone. You guys will never here's, guess it. Here's my thing. I knew that no matter what I brought to the table, it was going to get overridden. So I looked at this guy and I was like, this to me would be Sam. He's a little young, but like, this is Sam to me. Um, Patrick Laberto. Who? Again, you would know him from summer school. He's Winchester in summer school. He's Fester in Three Ninjas. He's uh, Ram in Heathers. He's the jock? He's the, he's the jock in summer school? Yes. Okay. Okay. But I mean, if you, 
do you right. look at him in summer school and like he's got the look that you would want very charismatic loving character actory thing and again it was i know that he's not going to be picked so i wanted to throw him at the table and pitch him because i think he would be a great sam moving on he 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 looks like sam he looks like sean Astin. yeah he so, does i mean I, I could i could see it wow okay that was so 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 tanner you just kind of like threw a guy out just uh just give him a just, shout just out to get his name just out there Give him a run. I also think he yeah. would do great, but I wanted to pitch him on the podcast. All right, guys. I've been saving this. I went re- I went very young. I went to a teenager, but we got Matthew Broderick. We got Judd Nelson. We got, a bunch, we got a bunch of baby faces in there. I'm bringing you Michael Seaver himself from Growing Pains, Kirk Cameron. He would be 16 around this time. That is my Samwise. Done. 16, you done? say? <laughs> 15, 16. Wow. I think he'd probably like start around 15 and get up to 17. Okay. He's in the best of times in 86. Okay. Yeah, he plays a Kurt Russell's son in best of times. Yeah, no, it's Kurt Cameron. Kurt oh. Cameron is my Samwise Gamgee. Now, he's nuts. But in the 80s, he's great. He is on the cheesiest sitcom that's probably ever existed in Growing Pains. And Samwise is a really cheesy character. I see it and I think and I really base it a lot of it around just Sam being so meek but having to rise to this occasion. And then again, that heartbreak scene when Frodo says no, I think Kirk's going to nail that. I think you need kind of a boyish character in Samwise in the 80s. The second we did this, Kurt Cameron was the name I wrote down. And that's it. Okay. I can't fight you. I know you hate it. I know you, you, I know you both hate it. Yes. But I'm sticking to my guns here. Okay. I'll let you stick to your guns. Do I think he's a little too heartthrobby? Yeah. Do I think he's a little too, I I just, I think I have Sean Astin in mind and he's a little, he's a little chunkier. And so it like kind of gives him that, a little bit more every man to him to his sense mm-hmm. a bit. And 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 and, and I, I absolutely do agree with you. I think I'm just looking at this from a more eighties, you know, lens. And yeah. I think Sam's is the Sam is just kind of the crux of this movie. And if and if you just have to kind of make like just little alterations, I'm making Sam maybe younger than everyone else. He's the most hesitant and that he's been it's really hits when he's the one drawn into this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, into this thing he doesn't want to be on. And so that's just kind of how I see it playing out in the 80s with Kurt Cameron and Matthew Broderick. I worry that this is, this is you've gone too deep, Corey. I think the 80s has overtaken you. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I thrive. Again, Kurt Cameron, who he is now, is he's nuts. But, and, and he's made some of the worst movies in history in the last like couple of decades. But in the 80s, and I've seen every episode of Growing Pains, and he is, in my, I think he's a really strong, actor in the 80s it really sucks that uh he let religion take such a hold on him um to a very flawed place um and and that he felt like he could not act anymore or it was going to be some sort of you know bastardization to god 
for him to keep acting. And, you know, he was he was even like against his own character in the later seasons of Growing Pains because he was, you know, a rebellious teenager. It just he got that fundamentalist with it. So I think he's a really lost great actor, in my opinion. Yeah. I think he would have been big. Okay. Like, so maybe, deal maybe, maybe with. this just sends him on the right and, path. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. 80, 80, 80, this puts a final note possibly on the 80s of buying of this and it, it fits that era and time. So, let's give him the shot. Let's give him the shot. So. Oh, I'm so relieved that Nick's not going to use his override. I was very tempted for a minute and that's why oh, I was yeah. arguing it. But I know. we'll move forward. I know. I was like, oh, Nick's going to do it. I really All wanted right. to bring out All the right. die. Aragorn. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight by all that you Oh dear, on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West! Who is the rightful heir to the throne of Gondor. Uh, when we first meet him in the first movie, he's like this mysterious rider um, who, you know, they meet at that, that weird bar um, while they're being chased by the ring race. He ends up going on the journey when they all split up with Gimli and Legolas. And in Return of the King, uh, he goes and finds a cool ghost army and uh, brings them to battle. Yes. That's Aragorn in a nutshell. That's a really short, you know, I mean, he's just Aragorn's son of Arathorn, you know, the the bloodline of the kings. And he's supposed to be the chosen one. And he's kind of rejecting that for the first two thirds of this whole trilogy. And through the through the events of the movie, he's come to kind of accept who he is and what his bloodline is. It's, it's kind of the sins of the father thing. He's afraid he's going to make the same mistake as Isildur and false, succumb to the ring and the world will fall in darkness. Mm-hmm. So it's, his journey is about him accepting who he is and overcoming kind of his just family history to an extent, but also playing his role uh, and becoming eventually becoming king of Gondor and really all uh, of general Middle Earth, so. Yeah, I love it. I knew Nick would do a little bit better at describing it I mean, than me, but you know, whatever. You know. I, I just associate him with Witten I mean, he's the also, Ghost Army. he's also like um, a, 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 I could, yeah, we could go deeper, but you know. So, Nick, you're still first. Yeah. I'm still first? It's still you, baby. You allowed okay. it. That's what you did. Yeah, you're still first. So I had someone in mind, and I think Tanner already figured it out last episode. But you chose him, and so Kurt Russell is off the board for Aragorn. Thank God. Which I, I mean, sure, whatever, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> Ooh, shots fired! Shots fired! Shots fired. Like we talked about, like Viggo Mortensen was like almost this kind of like lightning in a bottle kind of thing. Like he just kind of fit the role so perfectly. I'm leaning a bit with Corey into '80s mindset here. So it's like you got the big fa- fantasy movie. You kind of need a known name a little bit more. Um, but you also want somebody that has some of those qualities that that bleeds into like the Aragorn character. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you Patrick Swayze. Yes, of course. This of is course. one of his main things. One main era is Red Dawn, North and South TV is what he's doing kind of in this period. And then he also does Young Blood in 86. He himself is just an interesting person. You know, he's he's not your typical kind of a macho guy, but he is seen as macho. So he he kind of does what Viggo Mortensen does and just 
defies some expectations. So that's who I'm going with. I think he can nail the action oh. hero thing, but also the more sensitive moments and the uh, kind of loner mentality that Aragorn has for, for so long in the first half of this trilogy. Okay. All right. Tanner. Swayze's on the board. So here's the thing. I knew Swayze was going to come up. So what I did is I went for a guy who I feel like in uh, a movie just a few years later from this plays this ranger-esque character. I brought a guy of 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and we'll keep going until he's dead. Okay. I'm going to bring you Daniel Day-Lewis. Ah. Which Corey looked like Corey almost passed out. He was so mad about it. <laughs> but I think like if I think if you look at him in Last of the Mohicans. Yeah. Alone. Like that right. movie really plays on a lot of these aspects of Aragorn. Mm-hmm. He has the love interest. He has this um attunement to like nature and he has this like his survivability, I guess. He's a survivor. And so mm-hmm. that's what I see for him. What's his age right now? He is late 20s i think he's 29 okay um so he's a little younger than what um vigo Mm -hmm. is vigo's 40 yeah but i don't think his age being 40 isn't really in play a lot i feel like he has a long life he's not just like a man but i think the only the only reason i would counter that is just within the live cast the real life casting itself when Stuart townsend who was probably around that in this 20s and then they were like eh He's too young. And the thing about Aragorn is you do want that bit of weatheredness about him. Like he, he has been alive for longer than he seems kind of thing. Cause mm-hmm. like in the extended edition, it's a, it's AON going like figuring out like, Oh, he's 80 years old. And yeah. cause her, my dad rode with him when he was a child or saw him riding as a, as a child kind of right. thing. So it's, it, it, it's setting this mystique about him that it's, that he is this sort of, ageless warrior kind of thing. I mean, I'm just saying I was really confident that one of you would have said Mel Gibson. Really needed He's Mel on Gibson. my list. The problem is is I I think my and, forward thinking brain <laughs> yeah, my 2021 brain affected that decision. <laughs> yeah, so I have the same reservations as Nick about Daniel Day-Lewis in the 80s. If this was early 90s, Daniel Day-Lewis had feel more comfortable. But at the same time, Swayze seems like a bad fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can't, I can't, I can't switch across movies. <laughs> I can't switch Swayze with Russell because that's the better pairing is Swayze is Aomer and Russell as Aragorn. Nope, can't do it. This is awful. You could I mean, put Michael Caine here. I'm looking. Look- <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, Tanner picked a better fit, but I like Patrick Swayze way more than Daniel Day Lewis. I'm going with Patrick Swayze. Hold on, you just said I made the <laughs> I when better brain pick. I love it when Tanner's brain breaks. You just said I made the better I said choice better fit. because he is a better fit for this character, and you're going. And you chose. Be- you're going with the guy you like. It's a popularity contest right now, Corey. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Nick, use your override and put Wait, Daniel Day Lewis in Ar- Arwin. Nick, you have a you have an override. I do have an override. 
fix this and put Mel Gibson in. What are you doing? Why would I? Listen, Mel Gibson is tainted as tainted can get, guys. Like, the time travel cannot save him Yeah, can't brush that off. All right, are you going Patrick Swayze? That's fine. Yeah, I'm going Patrick Swayze. I'm just saying, if one of you had somehow landed on Kirk Cameron, I would have absolutely overrode here and put Mel Gibson in and not hold him to the sins of the future. So, well, that's a bad play. I'm glad I would just be putting so, the sins of the future on us. Maybe, <laughs> maybe playing Aragorn, maybe playing Aragorn changes his worldview on certain people groups. So, maybe you could only hope, but it's not happening. Probably not. But <laughs> so, Corey, give us the rundown of Lord of the Rings '84, '85, and '86. So this is how the trilogy is going to look in the 80s. Lord of the Rings trilogy, starting with Isildur, is played by Robert Redford. Bilbo Baggins will be played by Anthony Hopkins. Galadriel will be played by Helen Mirren. Elrond will be played by David Bowie. Oromir will be played by Harrison Ford. Pippin will be Michael J. Fox. Gimli will be played by Rip Torn. Frodo will be played by... Matthew Broderick. Treebeard will be played by Thurl Ravencroft. Aomir will be played by Kurt Russell. Wormtongue will be played by Mark Hamill. King Theoden, Ben Kingsley. Sauron will be played by Jeremy Irons. Mary will be played by Judd Nelson. Legolas will be played by Keanu Reeves. Gandalf will be played by Morgan Freeman. Rosie Cotton will be played by Aaron Moran. Faramir will be Richard Gere. Denethor will be played by Michael Caine. Eowyn will be played by Madeline Stowe. Arwen will be played by Demi Moore. Gollum will be played by Steve Buscemi, covered in Jim Hansen Studio prosthetics and tech. Samwise Gamgee will be played by Kirk Cameron. And rounding it out, Aragorn will be leading us along the way by Patrick Swayze. Now, we're considering this episode kind of like a a season finale, if you will, even of though sorts. we'll be right back pretty sorts, soon. Yeah. Um, we don't really take, yeah. But it's it's a big send-off, and so we like to give our producer, Jesse, his own power-up. We're going to allow him, if he wants, to have an override and put any actor in any role, you know, barring the rules, you know, <laughs> Of uh, must be alive, must be active, can't be, you know, Jelly can't bring Charlie Day into our <laughs> 80s uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, but uh, we're giving Jesse, we're giving him that power. So, Jesse, would you like to use your power up on this Lord of the Rings, the 1980s? I would. Uh, and I have no reason for this. I just think uh, this is going to be fun. More than anything, I'm doing this really to fuck you guys over for the past entire oh, season no. that I've dealt with you guys. Um, <laughs> so no. I decided that Gimli is no longer going to be Rip Torn and is going to be Danny DeVito. Oh, my God. <laughs> Danny DeVito. <laughs> making the return. <laughs> Jesse saw it. Ah. He knew what he wanted. He got what he wanted. <laughs> we're all 
<laughs> and I love, we're all like worried that it's one of our picks and he chooses one of Tanner's. Like, <laughs> one of Tanner's pretty good so classic good. picks. <laughs> I just want to see Danny DeVito ah. be thrown. <laughs> I thought he'd bring Danny DeVito. I knew he's going to bring Danny DeVito in, but I thought it'd be Bilbo. You know? Danny DeVito being thrown by Keanu Reeves. <laughs> oh my God. You know, Keanu and. DeVito are going to have some good chemistry. They're going to have fun. They would. They would have a lot of fun. So I like it. Okay. Well. We've reached the end of the road, boys. Yeah, we're we're there. We've thrown the ring in. It's over. We're going to probably be a minute before we ever tackle another trilogy like this. Um, (laughs) But whatever. It was fun. Hope you... Hope you enjoyed our three-part trilogy of Lord of the Rings as done in a 1980s fantasy aesthetic. Um, I think we got a pretty even cast of like people who really won't even survive the 80s. They'll just that's where their career will stay. Uh-huh, and then right. people who really, you know, transcend it. And Robert Redford's going to be in a movie with an axe wielding Danny DeVito. And- <laughs> wow. So, um. All right, the journey's ended, the ring's destroyed. I'm taking us to another trilogy, but <laughs> oh, only only the second installment, right? That's right, we're going to do a sequel. This, uh, okay, okay. So the Spider-Man trailer just dropped. We're all in anticipation of all these universes colliding, uh, okay. so we're going to recast what is usually considered the favorite, Spider-Man 2, 2004, Sam Raimi movie, oh, Tobey Maguire. Not into the Spider-Verse, got it, okay. We are going to take that to 1997. 97? 97, seven years. Yeah, we're not even moving into a whole decade, but you know. That's, that's, that's enough to jump, be interesting. Though. A lot mm-hmm. happens between those years. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get excited about, you know, Spider-Man stuff, so. Yeah. All that's what we're so- doing. So in so we're having a very spidey Christmas, is what you're saying? Yes, yes. Spider Man Two: Lost in New York. All right. So hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you if you listen to us on Apple, go down, give us five stars, give us a, a good review, and then it sends us up. Spotify, hit the heart button, the like, uh, all that stuff. Find us on social media. You can engage with any of us on Instagram. And thanks for listening to three episodes. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining this uh, on the, on this long, um, fun journey. Um, I'm kind of proud that this cast turned out as well as mm-hmm. it did and that this wasn't as much of a train wreck as it could have been. See you guys. It was fun. Say goodbye, Nick. Goodbye, Nick. <laughs>